0: The Steinberg Show, brought to you by 5th Avenue Auto House. It's Volksfest. Purchase an Atlas and you can get up to $4,000 bonus cash and no charge on winter tires. 5 com.
1: We weren't good enough. We weren't good enough at all. and Not a lot of puck play out of the middle. I didn't think we had too many centers going, to be honest with you. I didn't see guys uh, being strong down low or making too many plays. So. That, that's right across the board. We weren't uh, invested in the game, and we got what we deserved. We needed a response from the, the game we had last night, I and mean, we found a way to do that. Goaltender was good. Penalty kill was three for three, and uh,
0: you know, big time play in the neutral zone there by Zarnick, and a real good pass by Chucky. You know, one time shot needs a one time pass. Put it right in the wheelhouse, and the backs made no mistakes. So I was good to see. And then coming down the stretch when they pushed was there. Well, those are two rather different sounding songs from head coach Bill Peters. Got a nice R&B tune and a heavy metal tune back to back. And hey, they probably should be different songs because Saturday night embarrassing. Sunday night really solid. And they deserve that 2-1 win in Anaheim last night. Could have gone the other way. Like Anaheim could have won that game, but even if they did come away with the wrong result like if the flames would have lost that game last night and maybe it was the ducks who broke the 1-1 tie in the third period it still would have been a really good response from calgary And, and i think regardless of the result you would have been feeling a whole lot better about the way the team played calgary did what they needed to do yesterday they responded good on them and 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 i guess if you look at the big picture that's four fairly solid games in their last five it's it's funny will because you know, th- that weekend was absolutely a polar opposite weekend. Probably their worst game of the season on Saturday in Los Angeles. That was hard to watch. And then one day later, they were significantly better and come away with a pretty hard-fought win in Anaheim. And, you know, that's that's why the, the fact that the Flames have, have played four of their last five games and, and four of those games have been pretty good and they did have the, the one bad game on, on Saturday night that's, that's why I don't know if I see the comparisons quite the same way some others do about, well, you know, the, the Pittsburgh game last year turned around their season. Maybe the, uh, the LA game on Saturday will turn it around. Well, I, I kind of felt like they were already starting to trend in the right direction. That was not the case prior to the Pittsburgh game last year. Whereas this year they had already been moving in that direction. So maybe that's, maybe, maybe I'm in the minority. I don't know, but I I don't really see it the same way. There's been a lot of comparisons to that Pittsburgh game, the 9-1 loss on game 10 of last season. Uh, I've actually liked, by and large, the way Calgary's game has been moving the direction it's been moving in
1: recent games. I think the bigger concern, maybe not where their game is, Pat, the inconsistencies. I mean, what, three? Out of the games this season, so three out of the nine or ten games this season, you're questioning effort. You're questioning where the game was. They didn't show up on uh, the very first game in Denver. At least it took them a while to get going. Mm-hmm. Horrible on home ice against the Kings for that first period. And, and were able to fight back and somehow get a point that overtime loss on October 8th. In Vegas last Saturday, they were no good. And then uh, this Saturday, no good against the LA Kings. So you find yourselves in three or four games so far questioning effort levels, questioning the you know start of the game and where the Flames' emotion level was. So I think the bigger concern for me is inconsistencies. And you're right, I think last year, going to that Pittsburgh game it was very clear it was a trend in a very downward position there was no up and down this year it's been very up and down there hasn't been one trend going all the way uh one way or the other up or down so that's where the comparisons end for me i think the bigger concern is why is this team having trouble playing consistent hockey? Because I think for 82 games last year, or at least 72 after that 9-2 or 9-1 loss in yeah. game 10 to Pittsburgh, they were very consistent. And I know that the second half of the year following the the All-Star break and, and the CBA mandated break, they didn't play the, the same consistent great hockey that they did the first two. You know. They were getting the results. Right, right. But, you know, for the most part, this team was very consistent under Bill Peters. You don't win 50 games if you're not a consistent hockey club. So I think the biggest takeaway for me is why is this team having trouble showing up every single night? Because, yeah. uh, you know, you look at that weekend, it's a prime example. Saturday, they looked awful. Like, they shouldn't have even been on the same ice surface as the LA Kings. And then Sunday, uh, they were very, very good. Uh, thanks to a great goaltending performance from can Talbot. well and, and and it's a fair question
0: and and i think that you know if you were to take the entire 10 game sample size the first eighth of the season for the flames and yeah i think it's it's absolutely fair to ask what has the consistency been and then if you take a little bit of a smaller chunk and take a look at the last five games it has been more consistent so i guess i guess it's a little too early to say whether or not they they have actually started to trend in the right direction or if they have been able to get on top of that. Because if if they go out, they play really well tomorrow against Washington and Thursday against Florida, well, then maybe Saturday's game is just a blip and, blip on the radar and not a continuation of what you're talking about. And that's, that's what they have to do. And I think that's what, what you just said right there, I think underlines exactly what they have to do. Because you're right, through 10 games, there have been far too many peaks and valleys and ups and downs, whereas if they go out and play better and and, and continue to do what they've done more often than not over the last week, week and a half, then yeah, Saturday's just a blip on the radar, and every team's going to have bad games. You're not going to be able to go an entire year or an entire month without playing a poor game in there, but it's what you do and and how, how many times you do it. And what you do after them that that really matters. So we'll see. And that was a good response on the second half of back to back with injury concerns last night for the Flames. They win the game, they find a way in Anaheim, which you know what? And and I know that I don't know if Lou talked about it today on Hockey Central at noon. because uh, I didn't have a chance to listen today, but I know he's talked about it many times before. They have found ways not to win way too many times in that building. The amount of ways Calgary has found ways to lose. You know, late goals from Timu Solani to force overtime and Solani wins it again. Or pucks that go 10 feet up in the air off a of Lance Boma skate and end up in the net. Like The amount of times they found ways to lose games in Anaheim. A rare time last night when they found ways or a way to To win a game, Uh, that was a quality effort, no doubt about it. Welcome to the Steinberg Show. Happy Monday. He's Will. I'm Pat. Hope you're doing well. Hope your weekend was well, or was good. Um, Other observations that I wanted to bounce off you. You mentioned it already. Cam Talbot, outstanding. And, and I'm curious, God, and I, and I ask this because I don't remember. I think I think I know where you were, but I don't remember. I think we were on the same page on this one. Um, but I, I, first of all, I've really liked Talbot in both of his starts. Uh, the San Jose game, I know he lost, but I thought he looked just fine and gave the team an opportunity to win. And last night, obviously, was the biggest reason why they won. He was the number one star and deserved it. I was optimistic about him when they signed him. I thought that there was a good chance that he had the ability to return closer to career norms after a really bad season, his only bad season in his NHL career. It's early, but I'm still feeling good and I'm still feeling optimistic about that with what I've seen through the first two games of his regular season. What was your
1: feeling on Talbot entering the year, Will? Well, I was skeptical because the guy played a lot of hockey in Edmonton I mean he made 70 plus starts in that year they went to the playoffs uh, I was kind of skeptical in the sense that I didn't know where the workload and, and what that workload would have an impact on him this season. Was he worn out, uh, i.e. those numbers that we saw last year? Was that a result of him playing way too much hockey and he was essentially burnt out? And and maybe that is the case and good on the flames for easing him in. Um, it's only been two starts, but you're right. He's looked very good. He was brilliant last night. So I guess overall, my feeling coming in was I was skeptical because I didn't know what that bad season was. Obviously, his numbers tailed off at the end of the 17-18 season uh, with the Oilers, and then he was no good last year in either stop with Edmonton or Philadelphia. So I, I didn't know at his age and a guy that really, you know, went from a backup workload and all of a sudden was thrown into almost every single start with the Oilers were where was he going to be at age 32? And I think we're starting to find out that maybe it is a bit of a refresh, a bit of a reset for him. And uh, he's not knowing that he's not a guy that's going to be relied on every single night. He um, is obviously preparing himself a little bit differently and, and, and maybe a little bit better. Um, so I think early returns have been very good, but overall certainly was skeptical because I didn't know right. what that bad season would lead to. It wasn't an automatic slam dunk for me that he was going to bounce back. No. And I mean, especially with this position, there's, there, I don't think there's such and I mean, two starts in, his next 10, he could be terrible. Well, and that's
0: why I say, like, I'm still optimistic about it, but I'm not going to sit here and say, ah, I was right. I mean, two games is a very, especially with this position, a very tiny sample size, but I'm still feeling pretty optimistic about it. Here's here's the reason why I came into the Talbot signing with some optimism and and knowing they were probably going to do this because it was rumored for a number of weeks prior to the signing on July 1st. What what I liked about it or or what gave me reason for optimism is the fact that prior to the 18-19 season in Edmonton and Philadelphia, he'd never had a truly bad season in the NHL. In fact, he had even with the 18-19 season, I believe his career save percentage was 912. Without the one bad season, it was nine fifteen. And that was five years of being a nine fifteen goalie. And so the trends suggest, and other case studies suggest that if you 're a goalie that is able to sustain high level stuff and and nine fifteen is high level stuff in this league, if you 're able to sustain that for half a decade, then you have a bad year and you're you're looking to bounce back usually you do it doesn't always happen that way, sometimes age takes an effect, sometimes you drop off a cliff, you never know you can never predict those things but the odds would suggest you've got a pretty good chance of returning to career norms. So that's why I was optimistic. And, and certainly with what I've seen through the first two starts, I will remain optimistic, but you're right. I mean, it's, it's still very early and he's only started two games a week apart. Let's see what happens when we're talking about a little closer to the middle of the season and maybe they're rotating a little bit more to, to make sure they're managing both goalies properly. So, that's why I was optimistic. I am still optimistic, and I I, I believe that he has um, given us reason to remain optimistic about it. I've said that word a lot, so I'm not going to say it the rest of the show, or try not to. Uh, but certainly, some good returns for Talbot. How, how about this? What's your gut say about who starts tomorrow against Washington? I'd go right back to Talbot. It's kind of what I would do, too. And I feel like there's a pretty good chance, especially coming off an effort like that. I mean, I know it wasn't a shutout, but he was the number one star and the biggest reason they won, I I think I'd go back to Talbot. I think I think there's a decent chance they'll go back to Talbot. You did it with Riddick, right? I mean, you, you deviated from the plan three games into the season after Riddick posted a shutout on game two against Vancouver.
1: So I, I guess there's precedent for it to go the other way, right? Well, yeah. And I mean, I know that the whole team was bad, but Riddick wasn't very good Saturday. And it's back-to-back Saturdays where he has struggled. Uh, he has had seven of, uh, well, I guess, eight of ten starts now uh, to begin the year. So I, I think it's deserved to go back to Talbot, and you know Thursday you go back to Riddick, and then you, you see where you are from there. But uh, I, I think it makes a ton of sense to go right back to him. And and we talk so much about managing workload. Well, if we all believe that Riddick's going to be a guy who's anywhere from the fifty to fifty-five range, and not the sixty to sixty-five. Well, that would even back up further evidence that Talbot should go in net on Tuesday against the Capitals. So I would go back to Talbot, but who knows where the team is leading or leaning at this point mm-hmm. uh, this early in the season. They certainly uh, felt like they're going to heavily go to, to Riddick. But based on the way that the, the weekend went, again, I know the whole team was bad on Saturday. I didn't think Riddick was very good, so I would go back to Talbot, reward him with with what he did Sunday in Anaheim.
0: I uh, I had no issues with Riddick myself on on Saturday. Like uh, that was uh, I I don't know what goal he was going to stop there. I I didn't really like. I thought that he actually played pretty well considering the circumstances. He did not steal a game for a team that completely no showed in front of him, but. Uh, I thought he was the least of the worries on Saturday, and and Talbot came in, got that period of work, and uh, he said that it set him up nicely for the next day. So I I personally felt there was nothing really to critique on the Riddick front on Saturday, but uh, we'll see. And I'm with you. I do think that uh, Talbot going tomorrow would make a lot of sense. Uh, And to wrap up the segment, Mm -hmm. the cap juggling that we saw yesterday from the Flames I would suggest, at least for the time being, get used to it. Because the Flames have next to no wiggle room right now. And if they run into injuries, and, and it sounds like both Bennett and Manjapani are minor injuries, but if you run into injuries... All of a sudden, you find yourself in a tough spot. And the Flames are not alone. There are numerous teams that find themselves in similar situations. But just so they could ice 12 healthy forwards last night, they had to send Oliver Shillington to the American Hockey League. Um, that's the situation they're in i would suggest that maple leafs fans have gotten used to it we've seen it already with the oilers ethan bear had to be papered to the american league earlier this year for cap uh, for cap reasons like this is this is standard operating procedure for i would say probably a third of the nhl right now the flames included so uh, i don't think it's necessarily reason to be critical it's just kind of one of those things that if if they run into injuries they're gonna have to start doing some gymnastics with their salary cap and their roster that's that's the
1: situation they're in right now right yeah and we said that going into the year it's why certain guys weren't here to begin the year even though they probably deserved it after the training camp they had and and no surprise that this early in the year when they've had a couple of dinged up or banged up bodies they're gonna have to juggle a little bit and yeah it's no surprise at all Lots of uh paper transactions i don't know if a, we ever saw Oliver make it to uh, Stockton and who knows where he is now, but um, yeah, a lot of juggling going forward for the Flames.
0: Uh, and uh, hey, give the Ducks credit. They played pretty well on, uh, on Sunday night could have gone their way. That was a hell of a push, especially once Backlund scored to make it 2-1. That was a scary-looking push, and they had plenty of opportunities to tie that game at the Honda Center last night. On the Glenn Morati fan feedback text line, 960-960. this reads, go to Talbot. Riddick, despite playing well, he was uh, undisciplined in his last start. He certainly was undisciplined in that game. Uh, <laughs> the the tripping call, okay, The slash probably didn't need to happen. He wasn't the only one on discipline, though, on Saturday night. Uh, I don't think that Riddick is such an established number one yet that he just gets the net back after Talbot played like he did. I'd go back with Talbot. This, they had no rights winning that game. Talbot stole the W. Uh, This reads, with how Oiler fans are spouting off about Neal, it feels like Talbot's going to have a big role to play in his new team's future yet this season. Still too early to judge. Uh, this reads, the biggest positive for me last night was definitely Talbot. Riddick has been good so far, but I'd rather see him play in 60 to 65% of the games as opposed to his current 80% pace. With what I've seen from Talbot so far makes me feel like they can give Riddick days off without worrying too much about it. Agree with that. Mike writes, I think the Flames have played pretty well overall since the season opener, but for whatever reason, this team is having difficulty finding the back of the net, whereas goals seemed automatic last year. Also, that Kings team under McClellan's coming out to play. They're playing. Playing harder with way more pace, and I'm just glad they don't play them again until December. Um, and this reads it's been a decently hard schedule to start the season. Lots of games in the last two weeks. I will it's say only, that. it's only
1: ten games in 18
0: days. Cool. This bad. has been a bonkers schedule to start the season. I can't remember this many games jammed into that tight a uh that tight a time frame. Crazy start to the season for the Calgary Flames. Uh Steinberg show is underway. From 1 till 2 o'clock. Happy Monday. Later on today, it's the Sports Drive at 5 from 5 till 6. Brought to you by Pete the Plumber, the superheroes of plumbing and heating. Call 403-257-1766 or find them at PeteThePlumber.com for all your plumbing and heating needs. We'll delve a little more into Calgary's cap issues and why they're so committed to avoiding long-term injury reserve. It's a very interesting conversation that we'll get into with Ryan Pike next on the Steinberg Show. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Steinberg Show continues. Let's welcome in Ryan Pike from FlamesNation.ca after a win-one-lose-one weekend in Southern California, 4-1 in Los Angeles, loss 2-1 in Anaheim, win. Mr. Pike, your observations on the weekend.
2: My goodness, what a weird team this this year, isn't it? It seems like... It's hard to believe they can look as listless as they did in Los Angeles, and somehow look as dialed in. You know, less than 24 hours later in Anaheim. So, hopefully, they can uh, smooth out some of these uh, ebbs and flows and rivers and valleys. Because you know, when when they're on their game, they're a really good team. But when they're they're not in their game, who?
0: Overall, would you say trending in the right direction, or too early to tell when it comes to Calgary's overall game?
2: I would say too early to tell with the caveat that, Dating back to that, uh, you know, I think I think that the game where they got shellacked against Vegas sort of, you know, put them on their butts a bit. But they were good in San Jose. They were good against Philadelphia. They were good against Detroit. They were pretty good against Anaheim. So if you if you take the LA game on Saturday out and go, okay, that's just an aberration. If you look at the 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 four or five games they played out and you know, ignore the LA game, they're trending pretty well. If you if you factor in the the LA game, it's pretty obvious that there's still a little bit of quirks to be worked out here.
0: So let's get into the, I guess, complicated stuff, and that would be the salary cap management that the Flames find themselves in right now. Um, Give us, I mean, I can explain it. I think I can do a decent job of explaining it. Um, But why did they have to send Oliver Shillington to Stockton to facilitate Alan Quine's recall? I feel like you'll do a better job explaining it.
2: Okay, well, the gist it is that everybody uh, on the roster, including injured players, uh, count against the salary cap. Uh, when, when you have a player on uh, long-term injury, you just have the option to go over the salary cap, but uh, the salary cap still exists. So with, uh, with Andra uh injured on, you know, and missing for Saturday's game, they basically just rode with the guys they had. They had, you know, 12 healthy forwards Tobias reader came in and they basically had the same cap as they had the day before. They just had one less available body. And then Sam Bennett gets hurt against, uh, against the Kings. And all of a sudden they don't have enough forwards to, to uh, ice a roster. So their choices were basically send a guy down, dip into LTIR or dress seven defensemen. And, Based on uh, what we saw, they opted to you know, send, send a body down to bring up an extra forward in Alan Quine. And it seemed to work out okay, but they're still going to be pretty tight because uh, I believe right now they have about $155,000 in cap room, which means effectively that's the, you know, we're still early enough in the season that it's still a fairly simple calculation that they can afford to add $155,000 worth of salary to their cap. And right now, you know, a league minimum player is is seven hundred thousand. So, in short, they do not have the ability to add without subtracting.
0: Yeah, and and probably a situation they'll continue facing at least for the time being. How how does this continue to evolve? Um.
2: Carefully is the short answer. Uh, the basically, uh, you know, we'll, we'll go into more detail on uh, flamestation.ca later this week because, you know, uh, your, your your colleague uh, Chris Johnson sort of touched on this on Beyond Headlines on the sportsnet.ca website earlier this week. Uh, basically, you know, the Flames are in a situation very similar to what the Leafs are in where, you know, they're probably going to be in a situation where they're forced to use up some of their LTIR money probably use it all up in fact uh you know if, they, if they're they basically an injury away from having to do that and then after that there's a there's a, a section in the cba known as 50.10 uh subsection e uh it's effectively known as the emergency recall clause uh it's also affectionately known as the daryl Sutter rule uh fans will recall I believe it was 200708 or 0809. The first year that Curtis he was the backup, and he was mm-hmm. he spent all season trying to get his first win. You might recall that that season the Flames made the playoffs, but the last week of the season they were addressing you know 15 and 16 skaters simply because they did not have the cap space to ice a roster. As you can understand, the the league was mad about that. The NHLPA was mad about that, so they wrote in a rule basically saying that if you play a game uh, below the uh, the minimum roster limit because of cap reasons, you can just bring a guy up afterwards uh and, you know, rely on him for as long as you need to. Um it, it's the lots are pretty complicated, but essentially, yeah, you're allowed to uh circumvent the salary cap only if you have no other choice and you've gone short of body for a game. The Leafs are definitely gonna have to do that uh because they're so tied up against the cap and they have so many guys on health long term injury and short term injury, you know, mm-hmm. with John Tavares being out, the the Leafs are basically out of cap space now. Uh the flames are effectively, you know, a player getting the flu away from having to dip in the LTIR and then a player after that gets, you know, gets a hangnail or you know breaks a foot or breaks a hand or something, and all of a sudden they're absolutely out of money, even with LTIR. So uh the short answer to your question is, oh God, it's going to get really, really dicey. And the long answer is it's gonna get dicey and complicated.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good way of putting it. And and I believe that's how John Nagren made his NHL debut is when Calgary was in that messy situation that you just detailed. Uh, they had to bring in players from the American Hockey League just so they could be cap compliant with a short roster. And that's how John Nagren made his, uh, his NHL debut. And, and you just like you talked about the Leafs. We know the Flames are in uh, a little bit of a tight cap crunch. But I mean, this is this is not quite universal, but there are lots of teams who find themselves in scenarios where they might have to send players they otherwise wouldn't to the American Hockey League and do some creative gymnastics to remain remain cap compliant.
2: Yeah, and I, and I think if you look at sort of the evolution of salaries and salary structures under the CBA, we've sort of seen, you know, it used to be that, you know, say Matthew to Chuck five years ago, eight years ago, even, you know, Good three years, and then you go okay. Good for you. You had a good three-year entry-level entry-level uh, performance. Good for you. You're getting two million because that's just the way how business is done. Uh, because you know before, like let, let's be honest, if you look at you know, why, why are the flames incapable right now? Well, I don't think the intention was ever for Troy Brower or Michael Froleek or. Or even even James Neal, when he was signed, to be high, high, high-end top six, you know, game-breaking players. They were signed to be really effective complementary players, and that's how they were paid. But if you look at how you know salaries are done now, usually you know the big money is going to your top-line players and the 20 to 25-year-olds who think are going to be top-line players pretty quickly. Everybody else ends up getting you know, but that you know, that mushy middle ground between a million and three million, where everybody tries to get sort of crammed in. Uh, so now if you look at the flames payroll structure, you know, Michael Fro league plays in the flames, bottom six, he's on the fourth line some nights and he's making 4.3 million.
0: Mm-hmm. That's
2: weird, but it's sort of the way things are trending now because he's being pushed to the bottom six by some young guys who make less and who can arguably do more uh, same thing. You know, if you look at the flames, third pairing, you know, well, last night uh, it was, you know, a league known player in Michael stone who's already been bought out. So I guess he's technically making about $2 million against the cap and You know TJ Brody because based on the way the Flames structure their pairings and structure their roster right now, uh, a guy on a a, you know close to a league minimum contract in Rasmus Anderson makes less money but can do basically the same job if not slightly better. So he pushes Brody down. And I think league wide, if you look at teams like the Leafs are in this situation, there's a few teams in this situation where those guys in their late 20s, early 30s who were signed maybe three, four, or five years ago to be those you know complementary veteran pieces more and more a those contracts don't exist anymore and b the guys who sign those contracts are gradually being pushed to the wayside uh those are typically the players we've seen being bought out the last three four seasons simply because the teams don't have the ability to have a four million dollar player on their third pairing or their fourth line anymore
0: yeah Lou's kind of talked about it as the current salary structure's gotten rid of the middle and that's that's kind of exactly what we've seen, and, and it's, a, it's a really interesting trend that I'm, I'm curious to see how it plays out in the next number of years. Ryan Pike from Flames Nation is with us on this Monday afternoon. So you talked about LTIR, and the Flames, at least as it stands right now, with the decision they made yesterday to send Shillington to the American League to facilitate the quine recall, the Flames look like they're not really interested in dipping into LTIR. They're not really interested in going down that road. How come, what are the benefits to avoiding putting Valimaki on long-term injured reserve and keeping themselves in the situation they're in right now?
2: The short answer is uh, the regular salary cap. Like right now, they don't have very much cap space, but they're still accruing cap savings because they're not up against the ceiling. I think they're, they got, yeah, they still have about 156K per day or so that, you know, so on a pro level, they're saving like, I don't know, two grand, three grand, not, not incredibly large money, but it's enough that they're going to be able to potentially bring a body up at the end of the season based on them on not carrying a full roster right now or not carrying, you know, the most guys, the most expensive guys they could. Uh, LTIR, if if you don't, unless you're spending all of the LTIR room, there's really no point in doing it because you can't save the savings. So, you know, if they were going to spend, you know, 500K uh, of uh, of Valamaki's LTIR uh, wiggle room, on bringing up a player for a couple of days, unless they're going to use all of his, I think he's making a little bit less than eight hundred thousand dollars, I think it's seven ninety four or something like that unless you're using all of that space, you're not saving anything in fact it's it's essentially like you know going to the store and paying for you know a you know a bottle of pop with a, a five dollar bill and you know them saying, "Oh yeah, you don't get any change well there's no way there's no value in that so it's understandable why they're going with a bit of a short roster. I'm honestly kind of uh, surprised that we didn't see Alan Quine get sent down this morning, just as a, as a means of saving some cap. Because right now the Flames, you know, they're carrying, uh, you know, they have two extra bodies around. Uh, technically, you know, uh, nobody's on LT, no one's on the IR right now outside of Yusuf Alamaki. So officially, they have a 22-man active roster, which means, you know, they have a guy in Quine who has cleared waivers already. They could send him down for a day just to save about a couple hundred, you know, a couple. Well, it's going to be huge money, but, again, you save 2500 bucks here and there, and then at the end of the season it can help you, you know, if you're in the, the middle of a playoff push and you want an extra body around, those pennies can make a big difference.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and you talk about pennies and, and the way you just explained it, and, I, and that might be the best way that I've ever heard LTIR explained, and that is using the, the $5 analogy on a, hey, yeah here I, this pop is $1.50, Here's uh here's a $5 bill. Well, you're not getting that 350 back. You can buy this for five. I think that's a great way of explaining what LTIR is. And the other way that you've explained it, especially in terms of once you use it is a piggy bank, right? Like once you've busted open that piggy bank and started to go down that road, it's it's hard to glue the pieces back together. Can you expand on that?
1: Well,
2: effectively uh, if
0: if the flames
2: want to bring Use of Alanaki off LTIR if they put him on, like say, you know, say his his, and I think honestly, I think one of the reasons why they're kind of hesitant to bring, put him on LTIR is because there's really, he's so early in his rehab process that you don't know for a fact that he is or is not going to be back in time for the end of the season, the playoffs. So not using the LTIR space allows you to bring him back without having to do weird stuff at the end of the season. Amongst the weird things you have to do at the end of the season if he is coming back and he use up space is you effectively have to remove uh that much cap from your roster in order to open it up again. So if you huh. if you use two hundred and fifty thousand dollars of his LTI or wiggle room, you basically at the trade deadline have to trade out that much cap space in order to bring your, you know, your year to your year to date salary cap spending down below the actual cap ceiling. So that would be terrible because you know, the flames are have been trying to, you know, fairly, fairly prominently trying to make trades to open up cast space pretty much all summer. And I, I'd be shocked if Bradford living isn't burning up the phone lines, any given moment of the day, trying to open up some wiggle room for himself. But it, you know, it's, it's very difficult. It's been, it was challenging for them to try to do that over the summer. And it gets more and more challenging during the season when everybody realizes that they, everyone has less cast space than they thought they would. Yep. So, uh, it's very much like the piggy bank, you know, trying to glue it back together again, you know, you're going to not have a lot of pieces, your hands are going to get cut up because it's, you know, sharp porcelain. It's it's just a generally unpleasant process to have to get into
0: couple more with Ryan Pike from FlamesNation.ca. So here's a fun one. You just talked about your little surprise why they didn't even paper Alan Quine to the American League today just to save a little bit on their daily cap, which again, one day we'll get into the daily cap and, and you can explain that. But again, it makes your head hurt when you think about it. I don't know how you keep all this stuff straight, but uh, how, how do they, because Alan Quine looked like an NHLer last night, he looked like an NHLer in the preseason how how do they keep him on the roster? How how do they keep Alan Quine in the NHL this season?
2: the short answer is either keep Shillington down on the farm or they can wave Michael Stone and put him up they have to basically you know lose a body when somebody else gets healthy. Uh but that's going to be a challenge right now, but I, I agree. I I was super impressed with Quine. Think about this: so he played Friday in San Diego, had three shots and two assists. He played Saturday in Bakersfield, had three shots and two assists, and then played ten minutes in the NHL, playing a third game in three nights in three different cities. Granted, driving distance, but still three different cities, uh, and had again three shots. And you know his his line was probably the Flames' most consistently noticeable line, and that's you know. Mark Jankowski has not been great this season, but he looks really good with the wingers he had the other night. So uh, I agree. They need to figure out a way to keep him around. But right now I think he's the ideal short-term recall guy because he doesn't cost a lot of money and you can basically use him anywhere.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. The only, the only thing is, is that he is waiver eligible in event. how does, and that's the final thought. How does the waiver situation work for him? It's because he cleared waivers at the beginning of the season. So when will he be waiver eligible again?
2: He will be waiver eligible again when he has spent 30 days on the NHL roster from when he cleared. So I think he was checking on. He got called up yesterday morning. So that's one day. Today would be day two. So between now and he has another 28 days on the roster. And then once he spends day 30, the clock resets and he has to go through waivers again. So again, you know, he seems like the ideal uh, swingman because, you know, he's already clear waivers. You can use him wherever he doesn't make a lot of money. He seems completely content, sort of playing as much as he can wherever he can. And, you know, he, you put him through, this is probably the worst case scenario for, uh, for a professional hockey player being sort of called up at short notice when someone else goes down and be basically being thrown in against a really good team on the road. And he was one of the guys that helped them win. So, uh, They got 28 days with him to figure it out. And then, you know, hopefully he doesn't look too good so they can uh, sneak into waivers again.
0: Yeah, good point. Hey, Mr. Pike, great stuff. I think you cleared up a lot of questions for a lot of people out there. Thank you, pal. We'll talk again next week. We'll see you tomorrow. See you, bud. That's Ryan Pike on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar Guest Hotline. Same secret recipe since 1975 for pickup or delivery. Call 403 248 3344 and find them at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. This is The Steinberg Show on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. The Steinberg Show brought to you by Fifth Avenue Auto House. It's Volkswagen. Purchase a Tiguan and you can get up to $2,500 cash purchase bonus and no charge on winter tires. FifthAVW.com.
1: Time to turn up the heat. These are three burning questions on the Steinberg Show, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Happy Monday. What do we got today, Will? Let's start with a press conference that's been called in Regina in about five minutes. Many anticipating an announcement for a contract extension for quarterback Cody Vajardo, who is had not been shy about his desire to stay in Regina. The Riders have been in intense, heavy talks with him the last week. That comes from our pal Justin Dunk of Three Down Nation. Uh, Mr. Steinberg, the question is simple. Are the Riders making the right choice investing in Cody Vajardo?
0: Well, uh- first of all the good news is that um you don't have guaranteed contracts in football so it's a whole lot easier to do these things but the answer to that question i believe is yes this guy has evolved as a player in pretty significant ways uh this this was a player that looked very limited early on in his time with toronto and and even in bc he he looked like a guy that was not going to be able to well not that he wasn't going to be able to but at the time looked like the passing game and the pure passing part of being a quarterback was a little above him and a little beyond him at the time however he worked on it and and he has mentored under some pretty good quarterbacks as a backup and he got his opportunity in Saskatchewan and and now look at him He still he still has the things that made him an extremely effective quarterback in college at Nevada and made him a really tantalizing prospect. He still runs the ball. He is explosive in that regard, but he's also been able to figure out how important it is to stay in the pocket and to to be a more of a traditional passer. So I think they are making the right decision. I think Fajardo's come a long way. And he's the first quarterback that they've had in Saskatchewan since Darian Durant. And, you know, the final couple of years of Durant's career wasn't weren't great. It's been a long time since. The Riders have felt like they've got a long-term quarterback. And, and so you've got that guy. You better lock him up. So I think there's a good call, good timing, too. Uh, it's almost guaranteed they're going to be hosting a playoff game, whether the West or West semi or the West final. It's, uh, it's been a good year for Cody Fajardo. He deserves a big-time tip of the hat.
1: By the way, the team has just made an official two-year extension for Cody Fajardo through 2021. I really thought they had their future a couple of years ago, to be, be honest with you.
0: Ryder Nation, how you doing? I'm Vince Young, uh, quarterback of the Scotch Oil Rough Riders. Mm,
1: that was probably... I think it ended right when he tried to say the name. Of
0: the Scotch Oil Rough Riders. That or when mm-hmm. he was looking for hugs.
1: Oh, hey, you see strange. me, give me a hug. Let him give me a hug.
0: We do it with Southern Hospitality down there. We do more, more than handshakes. We do a little bit of hugs. So when you see me, give me a hug.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. Uh, Pat, it's still early. I know uh, more than... Half the teams in the NHL have not even hit the 10 game mark yet, but one of the teams that's hit, played eight games and quite frankly, the only team that is yet to lose in regulation. Uh, if I were to tell you at the start of the year that we'd be in late October and one team would be left without a loss in regulation, would you have believed me if I had told you it was the Colorado Avalanche? Yeah, I
0: would have. Uh, I, like, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say, I told you I predicted this. Well, no because you know that's a really good start to the season but had you told me that there's a chance that they could be sitting on top of their their division and sitting on top of the conference yeah it's it's not a crazy thought at all what the avalanche did in last year's postseason was no fluke they they ran wild on the flames and almost knocked out the sharks and and that that game seven was close it could have gone either way um what nathan mckinnon turned into last year he went from being an incredible hockey player to being a truly elite world-class top three player in the game Miko Rantanen's not that far behind uh they've got a young blue line that allowed them to go out and acquire a key piece to help them really align in a good way at forward I mean they don't trade Tyson Berry unless Kale McCarr comes in and Looks like an NHLer in the postseason. And so they were able to trade Tyson Berry. And next thing you know, they've got Nazem Kadri as their number two, number three center, however you want to slot it. So they they's a good team. And they're no joke. And they're going to be an extremely good team all year long. I mean, they're not going to continue this pace because nobody does. But, you know. oh,
1: Tampa did last year. That's a good point.
0: I, I don't know if I see that. But I think you have to put them as absolute next level contenders they took a step last year and it looks like that step was legit
1: they're in st louis to battle the blues tonight six o'clock start on your nhl live if you want to tune in to the one colorado avalanche week seven in the nfl concludes tonight with monday night football pat and uh, i'm not even asking you this because it's my team but quite simply did the new york jets have any chance against the patriots this evening
0: i think they've got a chance to cover How's does, does that help? Does that make you feel better about What's your the team? Spread? I'm just going to go take a look at the... Uh, 10. Yeah, I've got, they've got a chance to cover. They're a different team with Sam Darnold. Uh, they just are. And they look more confident. Their offense moves the ball. And because of that, I think they've got a chance. Look, the Patriots have, have, have been extremely impressive, and they've been crushing teams, but... I I think that the Jets have an opportunity to keep this close because when Darnold's in, it keeps their defense off the field. They're able to move the ball effectively. So I think the Patriots are going to win, but I'd be more confident in New York covering a 10-point spread than I would have if Darnold wasn't in there. How's that?
1: Good old San Darnold. No, Dan Sarnold. Dan Sarnold. Love good old Dan Sarnold. 615 kickoff, by the way. We got this one for you on Sportsnet 960. And don't forget, Shanks is your home For the NFL, there's your three burning questions. I believe they call tonight Monday Night Football. Don't forget to listen
0: on
2: it's the Patriots and the Jets.
0: Uh, don't forget to listen Wednesday, 3 till 4. It's The Bo Show with your quarterback, Bo Levi Mitchell, and Kluke. Brought to you by SML Entertainment. Hot Tub saunas, and home leisure. SML Entertainment has brought friends and family together since 1956. Learn more at SMLEntertainment.com. That'll do it for The Steinberg Show. Brought to you by Fifth Avenue Auto House. Well, I'm singing a bit of a different tune about the Ducks. Is Pinder singing a different tune about Cam Talbot? We'll find out when Pinder and Steinberg kicks off in minutes' time. Sports Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Monday Night Football. This Steinberg Show, brought to you by Fifth Avenue Auto House. It's Fest. Purchase a Tiguan and you can get up to $2,500 cash purchase bonus and no charge on winter tires. FifthAveVW.com.